Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So if you would, take out your Bibles, open them up to uh, Acts chapter 21, and we will pick up where we left off last week as Paul wraps up his third missionary journey. But what I want to do is just um, pull out two verses from the previous chapter, and I'm actually going to read verses 22 and 23 of chapter 20, and then I'll jump into the 15 verses of chapter 21 from this morning. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we had heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Well, as we've uh, been studying the book of Acts, we've seen the last couple of weeks that Paul has been hurrying to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. We're not told why he wants to be there for Pentecost, but that he definitely wants to be there by Pentecost and that he, he left Macedonia um, right after Passover, and uh, is even bypassed Ephesus on his way in order that he might um, to get there. Two months ago, um, back on April 16th, we, um, when we were considering Paul um, trying to go into the province of Asia and then Bithynia, and he was blocked by the Holy Spirit from getting into those, both those places, and then he had a vision while he was um, in Miletus, 
um, Troas of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here. And so they all took it as the will of the Lord that they would go that way. We talked at that point about the manner of God's guidance. And we talked about how God guides us via our desires, assuming along as those desires are for him, right? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That he um, guides us according to our circumstances. We refer to that as providence, that God, God is at work individually in our lives that he guides us via special revelation, that there are times when he specifically speaks to you. Uh, for Paul, he gave him a vision, gave him a dream. We're not quite sure whether it was a daydream or a night dream or whatever it was, but everybody understood that God was guiding him through that. And then specifically, primarily through the scriptures. And the last statement there, that we, as we went through all that, and clearly this is all condensed from back then, guidance from the Lord is always in accordance with his word. That that even when God guides in these other ways, it's confirmed through his word, okay? Specifically, especially for us as New Testament believers, again, if if you're walking, if you're Noah, you know, how much of that word did you have already recorded? Zero, that's exactly right, okay? So he had a different perspective, but we have all that testimony. God has put it for us in order for us to learn. And we know that from Romans chapter 15, we know that from 1 Corinthians 10, that, that we're told that those things were, rich, were written before or written for our learning, okay? That we might be able to understand and deduce what God's will is for our lives. So coming back then into our passage today, we see, um, again, Paul now on his, his trek to go back to Jerusalem, okay? But on, along this way, he's going to make multiple stops. First, he's going to be leaving Miletus. That's where we, we saw him last week as he was talking to the, the elders of Ephesus. And he goes to Kos and from Kos to Rhodes, from Rhodes to Patera, from Patera. He comes all the way over to Tyre, and he stays there seven days, okay? And then from Tyre, he does a little hop to Ptolemies, stays there one day, and then he goes to Caesarea. From Caesarea, he's going to go up to Jerusalem. Now, Twice in this passage, we're going to see specifically an opportunity where different groups of believers believe something different about the will of the Lord. And it lends to the question, what do we do when someone has a word from the Lord, a word of the Spirit, and they want to speak that word over you? And And we see that a lot in our culture today. And so, but specifically then, what do you have, if you have a different word of the Lord, than what they're talking over you? How do you handle that? How do do you handle when two believers who both feel like they're being led of the Lord think different things and they're going in different directions? Even more than, what do you do in a church when there are people in the assembly who believe that they have a different will of the Lord than what the authorities of the church, assuming here elders, right, um, are guiding and leading the assembly in. What do you do about that? And so in the end, the question we need to ask ourselves is how do we respond when what we believe is the best solution, which clearly is the will of God, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, okay? Maybe. (laughs) Because honestly... If I think it's the best solution, it's because it must be what? The, the best solution. That's exactly right. And if it's the best solution, it must be the, God's will, because God doesn't want anything best or less than the best, right? But how do I respond 
when what I think is the will of God, what I think is the best solution, isn't the one that's followed. That's not just for us in the church, but wives, it could be you with the decision your husband makes. Kids, it could be decisions that your mom and dad make. And you're stuck with it. I get it. I mean, I feel bad for my wife. I mean, I do sometimes. I mean, I, clearly I think I make all the best decisions in the world. No, I mean, I get that's a joke. But, but, but I understand that she has to deal with what? My decision, the outcome of my decisions, this, the, okay, the consequences of my decisions, okay? And clearly, I think I'm going to try to make the right decisions. I'm going to pray about those decisions. But I can tell you clearly over the 40 years, we've been married 40 years now, okay, that over those 40 years, I've made one or two bad, 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 bad decisions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, the guys are going to look at me, yeah, I could take that. Yeah. Women are saying, yeah, all right. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying, have you been in churches where bad decisions were made by the leadership? Got to be honest. Yes, of course. And when you say that they were bad, it's because you knew better. Okay? And I'm saying it because every, there is no temptation, troublesome situation that's overtaken you, but such as what? Common to man, right? We've all, we're all there. We're, we all have opinions. Some people are more strongly opinionated than others. That's y'all, not me. Anyways, but you get it? But even if I say something like that, it shows that I'm what? Strongly opinionated. Okay? So we all have opinions. And we're stronger in our opinions in certain areas than we are in other areas. And sometimes those things start to buck heads. So that's what I want to look at today. So um, we're going to go through quickly. I've got some things at the very end that I want to share as well. Okay? Um, but first... He stops in what? Tyre. And he stops there for seven days. Now, we're not given a whole lot of information here other than at Tyre, he's given a warning. And the people came and they what? Through the Spirit, told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So they believe that they're being led by the Holy Spirit to communicate to Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, this is kind of like a... if. Then statement, right? I mean, it's just, it's, 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 I'm going to, I'm thinking as a computer guy, I'm coming through this if then gate, right? I mean, I don't really have both options. I'm, I'm, I'm either going to do what they say or what? I'm going to do not what they say, okay? And so they say, by the Holy Spirit, don't go to Jerusalem. What are you going to do? So you're Paul at this moment, you're bent on what? Going to Jerusalem. I appreciate, Chuck, that you read those two verses. We're going to come back to them in a little bit, okay? Um, because he's already bent on going to Jerusalem. He wants to be there by Pentecost, right? That's where he's going. But now he has these people speaking in the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. That's what they claim. And I'm not saying they're not. But I have to state that's what they what? Claim. Now, it's written in the Word that they state that, but it doesn't necessarily write in the Word. Luke doesn't make a comment whether he really believed that they were or they weren't. Does it make sense? So you always got to be careful when you're reading God's Word, okay? It's recorded truthfully. It doesn't always say that everything that the individual state as you're coming through the book of Acts is accurate, is truthful. Are you hanging with me? Okay. When Gamaliel says, back in the council with the Sanhedrin, Listen, if this thing's of God, you can't stop it. If it's not of God, it'll go away. I heard people preach on that. 
That's the words of Gamaliel. That's not the words of God. It's recorded truthfully what Gamaliel said, but that's not true according to God's truth. If that's the case, why is the Roman Catholic Church, nothing personal, still around? They teach works. They teach the co-redemptress with Mary. That's not true. What about Mormonism? What about Jehovah Witnesses? What about Buddhism? I mean, if we want to go then outside of Christianity, that statement's not true. But people preach it to being true. Now, if you want to say it's not going to last for eternity, that's one thing. Okay? So you've got to be careful. Okay? So that's why I'm only making my caveat of that's what they claim. I don't know whether they were led of the Holy Spirit or they weren't led of the Holy Spirit. I, b- I know they believe they were. Does it make sense? And, and they made the claim that they were. So all we get, though, is that they make this statement, and then we're told the decision, not just of Paul, but by the entire group. Okay? Because they hear this, and they make the decision to what? Continue on to Jerusalem. Okay? Now, the next part is really the most important part in this whole thing. Because you've got this group of people speaking through the Spirit, saying, do not go to Jerusalem. So these other believers that they just met, remember, so they didn't know ahead of time, because they, they, they looked through the city and they found believers that they could fellowship with for seven days. They've had this great fellowship for seven days. And now they said, don't go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit says, don't go to Jerusalem, you know. And so, well, we're going to go to Jerusalem. How are you going to act? Because now, by the Holy Spirit, you've just told somebody, don't go to Jerusalem. Because if you go to Jerusalem, then clearly you're what? Read into this. If you go to Jerusalem, you're what? You're disobeying the Holy Spirit. Because I know by the Holy Spirit that you're not supposed to go. And so therefore, if you go to Jerusalem, you're disobeying the Holy Spirit. You are a disobedient believer. What are we supposed to be doing with disobedient believers? Having no fellowship with them. Right? Now you go, hmm, hmm, hmm. So what are these guys going to do? They have unity. They all accompanied us with their wives and children till we were out of the city and we knelt down on the shore and we what? We prayed. They didn't let the disagreement divide them. Paul, or Paul, Luke gives us no more commentary on this moment. Isn't this another one of those moments that you'd like to kind of have a, a thus saith the Lord? Who is right? Who is wrong? You know? I mean, the Holy Spirit says, nope, we're going to go. Okay, maybe we were wrong with the Holy Spirit. Did they they change their mind? Did they really still believe it? Were they all in in, in angst because he's disobeying God? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. Clearly, the Apostle Paul never disobeys God, does he? Do you think that way? We think that way, don't we think that way? Come on. We put Apostle Paul on a pedestal and we think he doesn't disobey God. Is it a possibility, is it a distinct possibility that the Apostle Paul is disobeying God at this moment? Yes. Now, I'm not saying he is, but I have to say yes. I don't know, because I don't know what just happened. I mean, because clearly if these people are prophets and they're speaking the word of God, then Paul is kind of going against it. That kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit, because, man, Paul... You know, if I can trust anybody, it's going to be what? Paul. Well, they get on the boat, and they go to Ptolemies. They spend one day Ptolemies. They go to to, um, Caesarea. In Caesarea, 
it's notched up a little bit here because now our warning comes from the prophet Agabus. And Agabus, um, as he gives this statement, he doesn't just say the Holy Spirit. Now he gives a, uses a grammar that is um, authoritative in and of itself. It's only used eight times in the New Testament, this time and then seven other times, with a thus saith the Lord, Jesus is speaking, thus saith to each of the churches, okay? So the seven times. It is then used 159 times in the Old Testament. All but five are thus saith Yahweh, thus saith the Lord. And those five times are thus saith the king, which is still what? Authoritative. So it's an authoritative statement that is being made by Agabus. At this very moment, thus saith the Holy Spirit, who's the owner of this belt, if he goes to Jerusalem, is going to be bound. He's going to be handed over, right? And so he, he makes this proclamation. Now, the next thing you have to ask yourself then is, was he accurate? Because we know Paul what? Paul went to Jerusalem, right? Was he accurate? Because if he's not accurate, Paul goes, and if it doesn't happen, then Agabus is a what? He's a false prophet. I get it? Okay. But we've already seen Agabus before. Does anybody remember the last time we saw Agabus? Good job. Acts 11. What did he do? He prophesied that there would be a famine. He prophesied that there would be a famine. And at that moment, everybody accepted to be true the word of God because they took up a collection and they sent it by the hand of Paul and Barnabas back to the, the church of Jerusalem. So Barnabas is accepted as a true prophet of God. And so he is declare, declaring an authoritative prophecy from God via the Holy Spirit at this very moment, which we know comes true. So, how do we respond? How do we react? Well, first we have then the um, response of the brethren, their advice. What do they say? Don't go! Don't go! Don't go! Don't go. I mean, it's one thing to hear these, you know, nobody's entire say, well, the Holy Spirit says that you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. But now Agabus, Agabus has declared this authoritatively by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul, don't Go. Don't go. Clearly, this can't be the will of God for you to go and be what? Bound. Arrested. Bound. I want you to think about this. What would you say? Is it the will of God for believers to be arrested? Is it the will of God for believers to be persecuted? Is it potentially the will of God for believers even to die for their faith. Yes, 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 and yes. You can say that. And we say that. Because we can say, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But is that how we live it? Especially in the United States? No way. It's okay for that to happen in other countries. But clearly the end times must be upon us if American believers start to become persecuted. Think about it because it's not the will of God for American believers to be persecuted. Because I know the plans I have for you, 
How many times I, that verse is so taken out of context? Plans to prosper you. Plans. Really? Does anybody, can anybody tell me the context of that passage of Jeremiah? No, the context is that. Say it louder, Chuck. When you disobey the covenant, and specifically, and I send you into exile. I'm going to send you into exile. You're going to be gone. Gone. 70 years, I'm punishing you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to spank you. But I know the plans I have for you. Plans. To... So you, if you want to claim that verse, that's cool. But claim it in its context. Understand that context is God will punish you as well. God's going to chasten you if you're not walking according to his word. God doesn't just blanketly bless people because, well, I'm who I am. He blesses obedience. He blesses those who walk according to his word, according to his truth. That's what he puts out in the word. We'll talk about that, according to his will. So, so we have this whole thing that this battle now, and I, I mean, I get it. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been there in the middle of a converse, conversation or a debate with somebody about, What's the proper will for their lives? Where should they go to school? Where should they live? What kind of work should they, who should they marry? <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we could just go down the line, right? Okay? And sometimes those people are right. A lot of times those people are right. A lot of times we're wise in our own eyes. Okay? Proverbs talks about having a, counsel, uh, a wise counsel. Okay? So that's a good thing. But Galatians 1.10 tells me something. Kids, I'd ask you if you remember that because we went through it in Kids Club just a few weeks ago. But I don't want to be disappointed. Anyways, <laughs> it's one of our memory verses, Galatians 1.10. And it says, is anybody looking it up? You looking it up, John? Okay, I thought you were looking it up. That I ought to desire to please God, not obey God, you know, so that we know that from James or Paul, uh, blah, 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 Peter and John, right? We have to obey God rather than men. But Galatians 1.10 says that my desire ought to be to please God and not men. And if I'm seeking to please man and not God, then I'm wrong. Bob's paraphrase in a nutshell. It's been a guiding force for me for many, many years. I can't worry about what people think. I have to worry about what, what God thinks. My desire is to please God, not necessarily men. That doesn't mean I, I run ruckshod over people. Sometimes I do, and I'm wrong for that. But then my desire ought to be to please God and to serve him and to be truthful in all his ways, right? So Paul is the one who wrote that to the Galatians. I find that interesting. Because Paul was also the one who's faced with this moment, isn't he? He's got his buddies. I mean, these are guys who are laying down their life for him who are going ahead of him, who are preparing the way for him. And now it's not just these people they just met for the last seven days, but now it's these guys that have been traveling with him, that he respects. This is his, if you would, inner counsel. Tracking with me? If he's listening to anybody, it's these guys. And they say to him, don't go. Don't go. This is not the right time, not the right place, not the right moment. 
hear your heart, understand your desires, but sometimes we have to have self-sacrifice of our own desires like that for the good of everybody. And it's clearly better for everybody if the Apostle Paul still lives. Do you remember when Peter, how Peter reacted when Jesus said he was getting ready to die? Not so, Lord! And Jesus said what to him? Does anybody remember the response? Get behind me, Satan. That's a product. Woo! Get behind me, Satan. Paul's getting ready to say the exact same thing, only a little bit nicer to his disciples. Paul's determination, his insistence. He says, I'm ready not only to be bound, but to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Turn you in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. And we can debate um, who wrote Hebrews. Um, there are a couple different um, theories, hypotheses that are put out there. I lean toward Paul. I think Paul wrote this. In verse 9, um, we read, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Drop down to verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who has the power, who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We make so many decisions because we're afraid of dying. Shame on us. Shame on us. Paul was in prison in Rome, and he's writing to the believers of Philippi. And turn with me to Philippians. And he writes to them in, in Philippi, chapter 2. It's actually chapter 1. It's not chapter 2. I know where I'm going. It's one of my favorite verses. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Some of you heard me share this, but when I drove truck uh, years ago, the delivery truck, I'd meet people, and they ask, say, how are you? I said, I'm doing great. If I was any better, I'd be dead. Oh, I can't be that bad. No, it's not that bad. It's great. Great. Are you not listening to me? I'm doing great. If I was doing any better, I'd be dead. No, no, man, you can't think that way. No, you don't get it. It's a great way to think. You don't know Jesus. Because if you knew Jesus, you knew that when you died, you got to be with him. And there's nothing better than that. Life right now is great. I'm enjoying life. The only way it could get any better is if I was dead. What do you think about death? Do you look forward to be in the presence of the Lord? Now, understand, 
when Mark, I didn't know the Lord, at least I don't think I knew the Lord, at the time that Marsha and I were dating. And she can tell you the time when my, my brain went onto it and my body just shakes. When, when I start thinking of death and I start thinking of eternity, from the math side of me, I can't process eternity. And as an unbeliever, I really couldn't process that. Does it make sense? Because I knew that there was something and I, and I was on the wrong end of it. And my body would just quake. My, I and mean, I would just quiver. And I would have to think, change, think something else because, I mean, I could not. I was going to be like that computer meltdown because I couldn't handle it. It's still a mind-boggling. On this side of it, I look forward to being, I, honestly, I, straight up, I look forward to being in the presence of Christ. Justin, Justin, he just went to the other side, but I'm so there with Justin. I'm so looking forward. I'm not looking forward to the process of, get, of how I'm getting there. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to, you know, it's like when I was in the military, you know, bullet through the head, just get it, you know, and I'm there, boom, you know. Die in your sleep, wake up there. It's cool. I love that. The longer process, ah, you know, I'm a wimp. So, but God will give me what? Grace and strength to get through that, Okay. But just thinking still about eternity, my body, because I'm still that math guy. I can't tell you I understand eternity. It boggles my brain. I don't know what that means. I've never been to heaven before, have you? I don't know what it's going to look like. People want to know what's going to be like. I can read you what the Bible says, but I can also tell you what God says, that eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who wait on him. And that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could what? Ever ask or think. And so if you can imagine it, it's better than that. I can't, I, I mean, I just, I'm waiting. Are you waiting? Are you yearning for it? Or do you really want to live 150,000 years on the earth because you enjoy the earth? You want to live. But real living is in the presence of God. And do you realize that Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Jesus said that he was the resurrection and the life. That those who believed in him, though they died, yet would they live. And those who live would never die. I have eternal life right now. You can't kill me. My tent is going to stop one day. My, my highlighted hair is proving that I'm f going further along my journey. Yeah? In one day, this tent's going to stop. Whether abruptly or slowly, there's going to become an end point. But I'm going to still live. I won't die. I'll just transition from this concept of reality to true reality. Do you get it? I'm looking forward to that day. Paul was looking forward to that day. And that's his response to these guys. Guys! You're short-sighted. You're looking at the here and now. You're worrying about this. 
God is bigger than this moment, y'all. God gets rid of Paul. He's got somebody else. And it may be one of you. I know he didn't say all that, but I'm thinking all that, right? I mean, if Marsha and I, you know, that big old storm, you know, and the wind's coming this way, then moments later it's coming this way. And you're thinking, okay, this is kind of fun. Wind's swirling, lots of rain. I've been under a, a funnel before with a, 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 um, a, what do you call it? Tornado. Been under a tornado funnel before and, and got swept into a median. Okay? Been there, done that. Didn't want to do it. Don't want to go there again. Okay? Not, not, th- that brief moment is not a fun moment. Okay? When you realize that everything's totally out of your control and you're slamming brakes and you hear nothing. You know, there's like no, there's just nothing. You're just kind of, because you're above the ground and you're just kind of dropped then, you know. And, but I think of that. Marsh and I are coming back. We're caught by one of those things. It doesn't turn out that well where I'm just dropped into a median. Now I'm dropped someplace else and we're in, in, in heaven. It's kind of fun for us. You know, we go together. That's kind of cool, right? What would you guys be doing right now? Would you be meeting? Would you still be moving on? That means if God's taken me out, somebody else is being, is, should be ready to move up. That was one of the other things I learned from this week. Um, we went down to the Peabody, um, um, not Peabody, Pea Ridge um, Civil War um, battle site. And one of the things that was really um, impressive on my brain was that in that uh, battle, there was a, a, a massive unit of Confederates coming that would have changed the tide of the whole battle. But the general of that unit was killed. And then the second under him was killed. But there was no further secession plan. And so the rest of the unit sat. Thousands of soldiers sat. Well, they got word from higher up what they needed to do, even though they had already given orders. But nobody knew who was in charge. God always has somebody in charge. Tracking? Anyways, so he says, stop. Why? Why do this? I'm not only ready to be bound, but I'm ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. It may come in your lifetime. It may come in your lifetime. Are you ready? His confidence, first of all, in the plan of God. Um, Chuck's already read the, the section coming from chapter 19, um, or chapter 20, that Paul, the whole long way, he knows. All the way from the beginning in Acts chapter 9, when he's first saved, right, he already knows the plan of God. He knows what's going to happen. He's going to go to Rome. This is all going to happen. And so he knows, in some manner he knows when he goes to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, he's going to go to Rome. He's not, here's the deal, ready for this? He's not worrying that he's going to die in Jerusalem. He's going to Rome. He's got the word of God. He's going to Rome. And he hasn't been to Rome yet. He doesn't know how he's going to get to Rome, but he knows he's going to Rome. And he knows that God is compelling him to go to Jerusalem. So it could be just through this compulsion to go to Jerusalem, which will be the mechanism that takes him to Rome, and it may not be the way that other believers think God works. 
but he does. And he also believes in the protection of God. It's Paul who wrote Romans 8. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Right? And then he goes through the, you know, for whom he has foreknown, those he predestined, right? And goes through all those things. But what does the, the end of chapter 8 go through? After he goes through all that, we, that we know that this is true, what does he then state all through the end of chapter 8? That nothing can what? Nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate me. There's neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor this, nor that. da 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 It can separate me from the love of God. When God has a plan for my life, Satan is powerless to stop it. I've said this a couple weeks ago. But if you're walking in the will of God, and you're following his plan for your life, you are invincible. You are invincible until God's done with you. If I died in that car wreck, coming back, no car wreck, but assume there was a car wreck and we died in there, right? If I would have died in that, that thing, it would have proven one thing. God was what? He was done with me. But I know God's got some other things that Marsha and I are praying about and talking about and I've talked to the elders about and I'm looking at. And I, there's, there's, there's another thing that's out there and I'm not going to share it. It's just between me and God right now. That, that It's weird, but God's got for me. But if I die, it wasn't for me. But I think it's for me and I'm going to move forward with it. Make sense? It won't affect you guys at all. You won't even know it's happening. But it's out there. Make sense? It's evangelistic. It's about the kingdom of God. God desires all men to be saved. You know, I desire what he desires. I want, at least I want to desire what he desires. How's that? Okay? I want the word to be out in the marketplace. In any way, every way we can get it there. It's time. You get it? The harvest is now. And, and, and everything I, I have, everything, part of my being has got to be committed to expanding the kingdom of God. closer you get to the end, you'll understand that. You'll realize you only have so many days left. God, use me for your kingdom in whatever way you can. So, what happens is at the end of that, unity. Unity. We cease to arguing. We cease to arguing. Paul made his comment. We stopped arguing. We didn't have to feel like we had to continue to push because maybe he doesn't understand. Maybe I need to tell him again in a different way. Maybe I need to state it from this angle, because he's not understanding this angle. They made their plea. He gave his response. They ceased arguing. Luke, again, never tells us whether Paul was right or wrong. It's similar to the difference between Paul and Barnabas. But then they submitted to the will of the Lord. They said... They understood that this was the will of the Lord, knowing that it was the will of the Lord. And then they proved it. How did they prove it? That little bitty section of verse 15. We packed up, and we went to Jerusalem. So Paul packed up, and he went to Jerusalem on his own because we all knew what was going to happen to him. And we weren't going to be about being outside the will of God and suffering for it. 
It doesn't say that, does it? No, rather those who were with him, those who were serving alongside him, all packed up. They knew the will of the Lord was there. Isn't that something? I mean, what's the battle over? What's the will of the Lord? Agabus is making this comment. It's authoritative. It's definitive. Paul says, no, guys, you don't get it. All this long way, I know where God is compelling me to be, and I'm ready to go, and I'm ready to even die there. Wow. Okay. Pack up, guys. <laughs> the will of the Lord is done. It's time to go. And they get ready, and they go. No delay. Abraham. Abraham. Get your son. Your only son. The one whom you love. And take him to Moriah. And offer him there as a sacrifice. No, God. No, no. You said he was the fulfillment of your covenant. This cannot be according to your will. This is the pepperoni pizza that I had last night. Clearly, it's not you, God. We don't read about that, right? What do we read? Early the next morning, Abraham got up. And he took Isaac, his son, his only son, the one whom he loved. And he took the, the kindling for the fire. And he obeyed God. Even when the will of God didn't make sense to him. And then we find out in the New Testament, yeah, go ahead, keep going, I'm doing it for the tape. Yeah, he that God, would raise him from the dead. that God would even raise him from the dead, that Abraham knew that God was able to even raise him from the dead. And that we know, again, that it was an illustration of what God would do for us, that God didn't make Abraham do it. But Abraham didn't know that when he went to obey. Paul still doesn't know what's going to go on in Jerusalem. He believes he knows. And I don't, I don't think it's any different than what Agabus has told him. I think he, he believes when he goes he's going to be, and I don't know whether he knows he's going to go all the way to Rome. I don't know if he knows all that. I don't know what God has revealed to him. All I know is that he is going to be true to what God has revealed to him, and then everybody else says what? We're with you. I'll submit to what God's doing in your life because you're clear, the clear leader that God has raised up. It's a rough moment, isn't it? Women, is that your response to your husband when they make that bonehead decision that clearly cannot be according to the will of God? Kids, kids, joyfully, you, you join your mother and father in, in that, like, you know I'm an adult now, don't you? <laughs> really? Sorry, didn't mean that. <laughs> there is no temptations overtaking me, but such as what? Common man. It just happens. We buck authority. But part of being in Christ is learning submission to authority. So, the will of God. It's a big question, isn't it? I wish I knew the will of God for my life. Don't you wish that? 
Don't you just wish you knew the will of God? So we're going to answer that real quick. We're going to fly through this real fast. Here we go. It's our display, okay? The will of God in the scripture, okay? Now, this is just some of them. You can go beyond this. You can go beyond it. I, do it just for fun. You know, pick up e-sword, you know, do a little search on the will of God, okay? But here we go. It's important. Why? Because Jesus said so. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Now, does that sound important to you? Sounds important to me. You can say, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? Lord, Lord, did I not do all these wonderful works in your name? And I'm going to say from you, depart from me, you son of lawlessness. I never knew you. Jesus says there in Matthew 7 along with that, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Matthew 12, verse 50, again, Jesus, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother or sister, and sister and mother. In Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 18, Paul challenges the, the believers of Ephesus, saying, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fool, but as wise, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord, the will of Yahweh, is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It's important for us to know the will of God. If you're not walking according to the will of God, potentially you're not going to get into the gates of heaven, right? Okay, it's a big deal. And therefore, everything I do ought to be wanting to be wise and not foolish. So, what's the first and foremost thing? Well, God desires all men to be saved. That's his will. So it's the same word, thelao, thelao, or um, thlema, okay, is, is, that, is the word we're looking at here. It means your will, your desire, your, your, your wants, okay? So this is the good and acceptable in the sight of God who desires or wills all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. That's his will. He wants everybody to be saved. Okay? So let me just ask as we go through it, is it yours? Is it your desire for all people to be saved? Or are you looking forward to some people being condemned? You, you know those certain ones that you're looking, whoa, ah, yeah, they're, whoo, they're a special place for you, baby. I mean, even this morning in Sunday school, we talked about Richard Dawkins. He's a God-hater. If there's anybody that, I mean, I am anti, it's Richard Dawkins. But God desires even for Richard Dawkins to be saved. And there are times I wake up in the middle of the night and God just puts somebody on my heart, and I don't know why, and I pray for them, pray for their salvation. From whatever in the news or whatever, just somebody like a Richard Dawkins. There's been times when I've prayed for Richard Dawkins for his, him to be saved, okay? Why? Because God desires him to be saved. John 1, 12. 13, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but if you would, the will of God. They're born of God. Not the will of man, but it's the will of God. God is the one who worked us all this out, and he worked out a way for us to be saved. Matthew 9, 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire, I will, for mercy and sacrifice. And I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And uh, I missed the word there, and not sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. There should be a not there. That's critical, okay? That's what God desires. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. He desires for the sinners to come to be made righteous, okay? To come to repentance. Matthew 16. So once you know that God desires all men to be saved, right? What's the next thing? Well, he desires then for you to lay down your life and to sacrifice it to be in accordance with his will, because you're not going to know it until you do that. So Matthew 16, 
Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wills, desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires or wills to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Will find it. If it's your will to try to live as long as you can on the earth, hang it up, you're not his disciple. That sounds pretty rotten. But that's what Jesus says. If you want to be his disciple, if you want to be his real disciple, you need to be willing to lay down your life. And that's what Paul picks up in Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Right? Living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship or service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to be able to know the will of God? Stop trying to be like the world and start trying to be like Jesus. Be a disciple of Christ, not a disciple of men. I can't tell you how many Trump 2024 flags I've seen. Trump is not the Messiah. It may be news to some, but Trump is not the Messiah. If he's anything, he's anti-Messiah. I'm not saying he is, but he's not Messiah. But he's drawing the attention of many Christians away from Christ to follow him regardless of Christ. And that's the dividing point. I don't care whether they're Biden, Obama, Trump, Reagan, whatever. Do they know Jesus as their Savior? It doesn't matter if they become a Republican. It doesn't matter if they become an Independent. It doesn't matter if they become a Democrat. I don't care if they're a Russian. I don't care if they're Iranian. I don't care if they're Egyptian. Do you get it? The only thing that matters at the end is do they know Jesus as their Savior? We need to be offering our bodies as a living sacrifice and not being conformed to the world, but being transformed in the renewing of our minds. That's God's will. Is it yours? Is it your will for your life to be conformed to the image of Christ? That's God's predestined purpose for you. Romans 8, 29. That's God's predestined purpose for you, to be conformed to the image of Christ, if you know him as your Savior. I know I'm preaching hard here, sorry, but it's just real, okay? 1 John 2, 15, 17, Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God said it, I didn't say that. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God, what? Abides forever. Galatians 1, 3-5, Grace to you and peace from God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So what is he delivering us from? The evil of this age. Do you see all this goes together? God wants your sanctification. He wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be set apart from the world. That's his will, distinct will, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. God wants you not to be like the Gentiles who you used to be a part of. 
if you know him. But we're supposed to live a separate life. That doesn't mean I, I shun them and I don't do anything with them. No. I love them, and I want to see them to come to know Jesus. I interact with them because I want them to come to know Jesus. But this whole theology thing that are going around today is that you could participate in a sin in order that you might be able to interact with them is bunk. It's against the will of God. God's will is your sanctification. It's kind of hard to, to argue with that one. It's kind of right there. But it's also potentially God's will for your life to suffer. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king is supreme, the governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty, your liberty, as a cloak for vice. We want to say, oh, I got freedom in Jesus. I can do whatever I want to. All things are lawful unto you, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful unto you, but you shouldn't be brought under the power of anything. All things are lawful unto you, but not all things edify. Do you get it? God gave you freedom to minister to people. God gave you freedom to be able to touch that person with AIDS and not worry about that you become unclean according to the law. That you can touch that, that prostitute, women, not guys, and not become unclean. You get where I'm going with that. That you can minister to that alcoholic, you can minister to that drug addict, and not worrying about becoming unclean according to the law. That's why he's giving you liberty. Galatians 5, go look it up. It's not for yourself. It's so you can minister to others. But we want to minister to ourselves. 1 Peter 3.17, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Notice it says if, right? If. And so all through there, Paul, Peter's saying, look, if, if, if you suffer for doing wrong, <laughs> that's what you get. But if you're doing right and you're submitting to the ordinances of man and you're suffering anyway, then it's for the name of Jesus. 1 Peter 4.19, Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. So let those who suffer according to the will of God tells me that there are those who are what? Suffering according to? No, not according to their own will. Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him. They're suffering according to the will of God. That there are times when God, whether decreed or permissive will, we can debate all those things all you want. It doesn't matter to me. Because it all boils down to the same thing. Whether God allowed it, God caused it, I really don't care. It's in my life. And it went through his sieve of protection. It went through his love and his grace. And he allowed this thing to come in my life for this very moment in order that he might be glorified and I might be edified and others might be saved. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I know he's allowed it. Finally, it affects our prayer life then too. 1 John 5, 14 now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Abracadabra, hocus pocus, salagazam, in Jesus' name I pray, and I get it. Rub the, the, the lamp just the right way for the genie to come out, and he gives you what you want. It's not what it means. You guys have been in the military, you get that. 
You're asking according in the name of the governor, or the governor, the general. You're asking in the name of the commander. That means it's according to what he would want. That's why John says, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And you know that if he hears you, you have that thing which you have asked for. So we've already gone through things. Does God want your sanctification? Does he want you to possess your, your vessel in honor? Sounds like a prayer of the whole answer then, huh? How often do you pray to be holy as he is holy? How often do you pray to be sanctified, to be set apart, to not be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed and renewing your mind that you might be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? God, I want this for my life. I want this for my kids. I want this for my wife. I want this for the church. This is what I want. I want a big church. I want churches of thousands. No, I don't see that anywhere. What I read is these other things that are will of God. God, I want to see people saved. I don't know how you do it, but I know it's yours to do. Some water, some sow. I don't know if I'm a sower. I don't know if I'm a waterer. I don't know if I'm a, I'm a rock picker. But I know that you're the one who gives the increase, and I know that you're the one who brings salvation. So God, I ask for Richard Dawkins's salvation because there's nothing that's beyond what you're able to do. Do you get it? Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye will find. The Father doesn't give a, a, a snake to someone who asks for a fish. He doesn't give a rock to his children who ask for bread. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. He's the Father of lights within whom there is no shadow of variance. Do you get it? But you've got to ask according to his will. Again, Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Colossians. Paul says then, since the day we heard this, we do not cease to pray for you to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What do you pray for others? Do you pray for the will of God? Finally, Jesus said in the model prayer, what was commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, in this manner, pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed, sanctified be your name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he gives us a little bit of ideas of what that will would be in a, in a, in a in a little part, right? Because he says, give us this day our what? Our daily steak, filet mignon, with rice and brown gravy. He doesn't say that. Give us this day our what? Sustenance. Give us enough to have sustenance, our daily bread. Are you content with that? Or do you want more? you asking God for more? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Wait, 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 wait. That second part doesn't fly so well. Forgive me my debts. But Jesus went on and said, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. It's kind of God's will for you to forgive others. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
Do we pray that? Do we really want that? Or do we say, well, if, you know, sure, keep me away from it, but if I'm in the midst of it, let me just enjoy it for a moment. Then take me out of it. I deserve this anger. I deserve this mad. I haven't had a good mad in a long time. You ever thought that way? I've thought that way. I mean, I, I haven't been mad. I've held it back. I've, I've, I've internalized this rage for a long time. But, but this moment, I deserve this rage. I deserve this, this moment. And by golly, everybody's going to know that I'm going to enjoy this moment. Because Martin Luther said, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. And so therefore, I'm going I'm I'm to sin boldly at this moment. No! It's not what he says. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Why? Forever. So in the end... How determined are you to follow the will of the Lord for your life? Paul was willing to follow it unto death. Unto death. Again, we don't know why he's going to Pentecost. I'm sure it's a sanctified moment. Just as it was earlier that when he, had, he did the, the, um, the commitment and he cut off his hair at Sancria and he took it with him, I think it's the same concept. I think he probably took another vow and he's looking to fulfill his vow. And he's not going to... To, to go against the vow that he's making with God. But that's, that's Bob's conjecture, okay? I think it's what, how it's playing out. And so he's going to obey God. Regardless of what it costs him, he, he's going to obey. How easily are you persuaded then to turn aside from the will of God? Upon what do you base knowing the will of the Lord? Is it, again, reading God's word or just how you feel at the moment? Too many people based upon how they feel at the moment and they're not spending time in God's word. I always want to come back to the word. Remember again, come back to the word on it. Show me in the word. Show me in the word. I mean, if you're telling me that God's leading you to go to Timbuktu, the people, I'm behind you. Okay? And you're going to go because, boom, God wants these people saved. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it because I know that's the will of God. But there's a whole lot of things I don't know if I'm going to stand behind you on. If I don't think you're in the God's word, and you're not in his presence, and this is just your whim, and you're just going to kind of claim it as the will of God so that other people will follow you on it. How do you respond when what you believe is the best solution, which clearly is the will of God, is not that which is followed? Is there finally then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have revealed to us your will in your word. You desire all men to be saved. You desire for those who follow you to follow you, to be sanctified, to, to not be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed to the renewing of their minds, that we might possess our, our vessels in honor, Lord. You desire for us to submit to the governing authorities, that they might re be rebuked, Lord, um, when we are in obedience to you, that knowing one day they're going to stand before you, and they're going to give an account, Lord. And so it may be that my witness and my testimony only plays out in heaven, even for the condemnation of many others. I don't know how that will play out, but you do. But Lord, I pray that as I, as we walk on this earth, give us the desire to walk according to your will, to trust in you with all of our hearts, to lean not upon our own understanding, to acknowledge you in all of our ways, knowing that you will guide our steps. Lord, help us to hunger for the salvation of souls. Help us to, to hunger for the edification of the saints. Help us to hunger for the expansion of your kingdom that you might receive the glory. 
the honor, and the praise which rightfully belong to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.